The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at www.upc.org forward slash university. Welcome. We hope that this is a place that you feel uh, as, as you belong, that you feel welcome to. My name is Ryan Church. And my title here is Senior Director of uh, University Ministries. I don't often include the title because I feel like the title makes me sound really, really old. Uh, usually, usually I just like to say, hey, I'm one of the guys on staff here. You know, I'm kind of just chilling with the interns and, you know, we're pretty similar and, and it's all good. So all that to say, uh, it's great to see some very familiar faces. It's great to see some new faces and hope that uh, this can be a tradition, a ritual, if you will, that you get to continue throughout the year in coming here to uh, explore your faith, uh, perhaps grow in your faith, whatever it may be. I hope that when we get to June, uh, you will have had the opportunity to hear God answer and to uh, get to know him a little bit more. Let me tell you something I'm passionate about. It's probably a conversation that a lot of you have been involved in lately, and that is Husky football. Uh, not, that's right, that's right, I know, I, I too can, can say that walking out of the stadium on Saturday night, that was the best I've ever felt after a loss, okay? Now, I can say that I'm ready for, I'm already amped up, I was telling Voy about this today, I'm already ramped up for this coming Saturday, I'm feeling good, feel like we're gonna, we're gonna break the, the curse here. And uh, it's going to feel even better. But I'm, I'm passionate beyond merely being an alumni. The roots for me in Husky football go down pretty deep. See, when I was in second grade, my family, my dad, my grandfather started bringing me over to, uh, to Husky football games. And it was right about that time, right about the time I was eight, nine years old, that I really began to understand what football was all about. And as I began to understand this, I know that this is going to blow your minds now. This is, the year is 1984. And I know that at that point, you guys are probably going, no wonder they put senior in his title. But in 1984, the Huskies won their first nine games. So as I'm, as I'm really discovering what football is all about, I'm, I'm engaging this going, my team never loses. This is awesome. So I'm pretty stoked on that. We win the first nine games. And we're, we have a, a road game to SC where we're playing for the Pac-10 championship. Long story short, the Huskies get beat in that game, and I was devastated. As an eight-year-old, how can this be? My team never loses, and they just lost. And when my dad tells this story, he says, yeah, so when that Huskies lost that first game, Ryan, I was on suicide watch for the next six, six hours as Ryan moped around the house just wondering if you would ever experience happiness or joy again. <laughs> there, even as an eight-year-old, there was this great passion uh, about Husky football and, and losses, this great suffering that, that uh, came with that. So you can imagine what an 0-12 season did to me last year. So much so that at the start of this season, uh, my wife, and, and in a really serious tone, was like, okay, um, how are we going to manage Husky losses this year? Um, she's like, I get that you feel that, but we need to put a boundary on how long you can groan and walk around frustrated and totally check out from all things that really matter. Okay, and, and so, you know, we kind of figured it out that, you know, okay, you know, I'm, a, I'm allowed to kind of, you know, 
kick the dog and do things like that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We don't even have a dog. I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do that. Uh, for about for about two hours before it's like okay time to re-engage. Luckily, this last game was a night game, so I could sleep on it and wake up in the morning happy. So, all that to say, my wife, my wife and I uh, have been married. We celebrated seven years of marriage this July, and we have by and large a wonderful life together. We have a one-year-old son, and for the most part, we're really conscious of the great blessings and life that we have. Uh, together, but if I'm to be totally honest with you, and some of you that, that have been around have heard me say this from up here before, marriage can be a grind. That there is nobody in the world that I love as much and have as much passion for as Julie, but there is nobody that can just piss me off like she can. There's nothing that any of you in this room could do that can frustrate me like Julie is able to frustrate me. Because there is something where my ability to love her and the passion I have for her, consequently there's this corresponding depth that she can also frustrate me. I have great passion in my marriage. But along with that comes at times this incredible grind, this incredible suffering that comes with that. And I share those two stories because I believe that passion and suffering go together. And I challenge you to examine this and that I would argue that when you take the sum of these two parts, this passion and suffering, what you get is loyalty. And so tonight as we continue this, this September look that we have through Second Timothy to essentially ask the question, what's the difference? We're looking at the, specifically at the places where the Apostle Paul says to Timothy, but as for you, these places where he's calling out how Timothy is to be different. So we're looking at this question of, but as for you, then what? What's different about you? What's different about your God? And in what we're going to hear tonight has to do with what is to be different about you is to be loyal to a God that is first and foremost loyal. Now, last week, Jordan got us started in looking at this piece of correspondence between Paul the teacher and Timothy the student. And Jordan, for those uh, of you that were here, got to hear him liken this, this relationship of writing letters that Timothy and Paul had. Uh, for those of you that are, are uh, Harry Potter, HP fans, what, what? He said that this is, that what this is kind of like is the relationship between Harry Potter and Sirius Black. Okay, this protege that's kind of, you know, showing, uh, or this, this uh, uh, mentor that is showing the protege the ropes in Sirius to Harry, Harry Potter. And Paul is doing the same thing, empowering Timothy to boldly take the reins in leading this, this new community of Christians amidst the chaos of cultural struggles as he remained, as he's reminded that God has given him as Jordan said last week, the spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. So God has given something, and he's given this great message. And Timothy has been endowed with this big new responsibility, and he is totally, totally overwhelmed in this new environment. One of the reasons that I think it's, it's appropriate for us to look at this text at the beginning of September is that I know that there are people in this room that are into a new environment, and you're, perhaps you're totally overwhelmed with the responsibility that you feel this year. 
I think scripture uh, speaks into that in these stories that we get and in these letters. So we're going to look at that tonight. So for those of you that did bring a Bible, and we always invite you to bring a Bible to the end, though we'll project it every week as well. We're going to look at 2 Timothy 2. Take it from the top. So here is what it says. It says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Okay, that's the first time where it says, you then, my son, in the TNIV. That's the first time this phrase is used that is translated basically, but as for you. Where Paul has said something, in this case, about giving this example at the end of chapter 1 about people in the community that have been disloyal, that have followed, you know, kind of chased after uh, some, some other things and, and maybe gone astray. Uh, He says, but as for you, there is a difference. And he starts by saying, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Okay, here that is the thesis that's going to cover the rest of what we're going to read tonight. Okay, be strong in the grace that is Christ Jesus and in the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrusted to to, uh, reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Okay, Timothy is in charge of this this community. Then this, verse 3, this is key. Join me in, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Okay, this starts three images that you, you need to pay attention to. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier in, of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. Rather, they try to please their commanding officer. Similarly, second image here, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. Third, the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Let's stop and do exactly what Paul just said and stop and reflect on these three images. And quickly before we look at these images, uh, I love how Paul kind of subordinates himself right there. Did you catch this? That he says, I, this has been entrusted to me and I'm telling it to you, but the Lord will give you insight. That the Lord is the teacher. And my hope is that even as we reflect on these, these images, that it's not just me teaching here, but that we'll reflect together. And I hope that the Lord gives you insight on this, perhaps over and above and way deeper than anything I'm going to say. That said, let's look at these three images that show us something about loyalty and passion and suffering. So the first image that he gives here is this image of a soldier. And what is the, the passion of a soldier? The passion of a soldier at a really basic level is simply to conquer an enemy, to win. And usually what comes along with being a soldier is this incredible uh, training and regimented schedule. There's this hierarchy where you are in community and usually under somebody that you are following in to battle. Almost all militaries work that way, where it's a very hierarchical structure. My cousin is a West Point graduate that uh, is an army ranger that has done uh, two separate tours in the current conflict in Iraq. And as part of those tours, Nick had to miss the majority of uh, the first year of his firstborn son's life. It was a heartbreaking scenario, and one that him and, and his wife really had uh, really had to struggle through. 
But could you imagine the alternative for Nick as someone who graduated from West Point, who has a commitment to the military, that the alternative would be to take his wife and child with him. And for a lot of obvious reasons, the most notable being that it would be incredibly dangerous, that's not a good idea. But I think what Paul is getting at in this image is that for Nick, the call was to be to be present to the dynamics of this conflict as the soldiers go to fulfill the mission that they have been called to, that their commanding officer is leading them into. Where Paul says that these soldiers uh, are to be committed and not having to deal with, uh, so to speak, civilian or domestic affairs. That part of why Nick needed to leave Karin and Kale home, even, even though that was an incredible struggle, and even compromise what he would call some of his priorities, he needed to do it for the sake of being present with this, this conflict and to pay attention to that because for that point in his life, that is what he unfortunately had been called to. The image of a soldier is an image of, of one who is focused on what is best for the greater good, but who suffers by setting aside personal priorities to do so. And this image of a, of a soldier also reminds us of something that I know I, needed to be, I need to be reminded of, and that is that we are all involved in a battle of some sort. And it's, it's not that we are involved in a battle between uh, nations or in different political battles, but there is a battle between good and evil that has been going on forever. Timothy is involved in that struggle, and I believe that that we are too. And so the call here is to remember that. And with this image of a soldier, Paul is encouraging this young pastor to remember that this struggle is real, and to be focused on the dynamics of the battle at hand so that in your passion, you might be able to defeat the enemy. That's the passion of a soldier, though it comes at a great cost. So then the second image is this image of an athlete. And the passion of an athlete is to absolutely master their sport, to be the best at whatever it is their particular sport requires. Now, there's no question I identify a lot more with the image of an athlete than, than a soldier. Though, with, when it comes to sports, I embody mediocrity at sports. Uh, that the more coordination required, the more mediocre, if not flat out bad, I become at that sport. Case in point, baseball. Love baseball, passionate about it, love following it. As I've tried to play it, the ball just moves too doggone fast. Which led me to, I guess, take a little bit more interest in, in golf. Okay? I can't hit a ball that's moving. How about a stationary ball? That sounds more like something that I might enjoy. But even that, I suck at. Case in point, I was playing uh, golf with the interns, and boy, on the way home from our retreat, I hit a parked car with a golf ball. <laughs> Dinged it. Yes, I'm awesome. The image of an athlete. Maybe hitting cars with golf balls is one of the reasons that I uh, kind of went on to sports that require little coordination at all i.e. marathon running. You just kind of point in a direction and go for about four hours. Easy enough. Okay, I can do that. But here's the thing with marathon running that I love. There's no, there's no shortcut. 
if it is to be a marathon, there's a couple things that, that have to be present. A, it's 26.2 miles. No way around that. You gotta do 26.2 miles if you're gonna call it a marathon. Thus, you can't fake it. You have to train for it. You have to, you have to be disciplined about that. And, you know, cause you could go out, a lot of us here could probably go out and at the very least walk like a 3K or a 5K right now if we wanted to. Okay? That's what I mean by you could kind of fake it. To do a marathon, you have to prepare for it. It takes discipline. It takes focus. And there are particular rules. The rules of training and the rules of the game. I can't run 18 miles and call it a marathon. I can't run 13.1 miles and call it a marathon. I call that a half marathon. The rule of the game is 26.2 miles. So what's, what's Paul getting at here? Saying that, that to be an athlete, you have to honor the rules of your particular sport, the rules of training and the rules of the game. You can't fake it. You've got to go 26.2. I think that, that perhaps in this metaphor, what Paul is encouraging Timothy towards is to remember some of the rules of the faith, i.e. the teachings of the faith. And I think what he's pointing to is simply Jesus Christ right there. He's pointing back and saying the rule of the faith is Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection. And that is, I I say it from up here, brutally understated, but he's pointing back to Jesus and saying it has to come back to Jesus. So Jesus is to the teachings that Timothy has been handed as 26.2 is to a marathon. You can't have teaching about the Christian faith without it ultimately pointing to Jesus. you got to stay focused on that in the same way that 26.2 equals marathon. And even in that, there's suffering. One of my great athletic heroes is fellow marathoner who also has happened to win seven tours to France, Lance Armstrong, uh, who says that even in cycling, um, he says cycling is all about suffering even when you're following the rules, even when you've trained through the wind and the rain like he has, cycling's all about suffering, and it never ceases to exist. You just get faster doing it. The athlete never stops suffering. It's just part of what happens in following those rules. Finally, there is an image of the hardworking farmer. The passion of a farmer is to reap the harvest. <laughs> now, I, I've gotten, I've had the opportunity to, to get a taste of this as I have tried my hand at farming this summer. And by farming, I mean gardening. And by gardening, I mean that I have become the U District's fiercest tomato farmer. Okay? I have this awesome plot of land that's about, I don't know, four blocks that way at my house. Um, and this thing is a good, I don't know, 10 by 10 feet. And it includes all of three tomato plants. Okay, these, these two, so I consider myself a tomato farmer because this, this May, Julie and I went and got some, some tomato starters down here at the Saturday U District Market. Highly recommend it, by the way. You don't even have to be like an organic food nut to enjoy it. It's just money. So go check it out every Saturday, even in the winter. So we went down and got some. <laughs> Some tomato plants, some starters, we planted them, and they were these measly, tiny, kind of anemic-looking things when we first put them in the ground in May. But, you know, with a little bit of sun and some water, some 
some weeding and, and just general diligence and care. Okay, I don't typically call, consider myself an obsessive person, but it got to the point where I would get up every morning and the first thing that I would do would, mo- would, would be to monitor the status of the tomato plants and go out and pick any weeds that might be around them. You know, are they getting enough water? Try and get them to fit in their tomato cages. That didn't work out too well. One of the plants, because we were so money, got too, so heavy and so loaded with fruit that it collapsed. <laughs> I, don't worry, I rescued it. And it's, it's bearing some sweet fruit right now. But throughout the summer, I was just like, are these plants going to bear any fruit? The passion of the farmer, of the tomato farmer, is the harvest. And I couldn't wait to see if these were going to plant tomatoes. But there was long suffering involved. I was out there every morning weeding my garden. And I still didn't know if it was going to bear some good tomatoes. But now we got sun golds, we got some heirlooms, we got your regular red, great for caprese sod with the basil plant that was right next to the, the tomatoes. The passion of the farmer is to reap the harvest, but there's long suffering that's involved. And so we have these three images that Paul is, is calling to that Paul is giving Timothy, that call us to this unbridled loyalty. And that is what this text that we're looking at is all about. It's a call to loyalty. Our thesis of our scripture is that first verse, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. My own paraphrase of this would be, but as for you, stay loyal to the gift of God for you and for others. And in each of these images, as we've talked about, there's a unique passion and there's a unique suffering. Passion and suffering is what breeds loyalty. The longer that my cousin Nick, the soldier, was in Iraq, the more he wants to see that job finish appropriately and righteously, correctly. The more that I would train in in driving rain and cold, in cold weather and in adverse conditions uh, for a marathon, the more I got the taste of my mouth to finish this and make all that training worth it. The, the more that I suffered through an 0 and 12 season as a Husky football fan, the more I can't, I can't wait to see that, that redemption. And it teaches me that I'm not just a fan because it feels good all the time. But that this is on for the long haul. In the same way that those tomatoes didn't bear fruit in the first week or the first month. But it took several months. Passion and suffering breeds loyalty. Now, Paul seems to be aware that this invitation to suffer is not likely the sexiest thing that that his 20-year-old protege is going to hear. In fact, loyalty has a lot more to do with faithfulness. And this loyalty that Paul is talking about starts, first and foremost, with a faithful God that would do anything. So Paul needs to give this reminder and this encouragement as well. And then he follows it up with a song that he and Timothy likely sang together on one of their road trips. So uh, 2 Timothy uh, 2, verses 8 to 13, it says this. Great reminder here, remember Jesus Christ. Okay, our 26.2 rule there. Raised from the dead, descended from David. 
This is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying, and then here's the song that they sing together. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. So picture it like this. Let's say I'm writing a letter to Mike McAvoy about remaining passionate about the gospel, and I want to remind him what this message that we've been entrusted with is all about. The words that that I might include might be as simple as, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so, little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. A simple, memorable reminder of who God is in order that in my case, Voy might function with the passion. He might remember why there's reason to have a passion like the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. This big, big passion that includes suffering that yields loyalty. In a culture where the number of trends are both overwhelming in number and appeal, what is Timothy to do? That's the culture that Timothy was in. Sound a little, sound similar? It's a question that we need to address as well. And I think Paul is clear in his encouragement. Simply stay loyal and stop sinning. Find passion and be willing to suffer and stop sinning. Text, whoa, here we go. 2 Timothy 2, 22 to 26 says this. Flee the evil desires of youth. Stop sinning. And pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Loyalty. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know that they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do the devil's will. The emphasis that Paul is making to Timothy is to stay loyal to the gospel and its message. But embedded in that loyalty to stop sinning is to stay passionate. Flee from evil desires, the first part of that text. Flee from evil desires and do something that matters. The problem is that what Paul is calling evil desires ultimately come up empty. And as they come up empty, they lead to indifference and apathy. They can seem great in the moment, but ultimately they, need to, they lead to indifference and apathy. What am I talking about here? You know what this sounds like. I don't care. Whatever. Okay, Whatever. One of the places that I see this most prominently, I've seen it in my own life, and certainly that I engage with regularly as a college pastor, 
is the issues that come up around any variety of, of sexual sin, either for the desires that people, uh, that students have, or for things that they have done, uh, or, that there is this sense of how in the world can God love me if that's what I'm, if that's what I'm doing? If I have this desire, how am I worthy to even be used by God? I think what happens in that, in people's questioning, how am I even able to be called a child of the king? How could I even be worthy? i got to get myself right. And until I do so, I'm not going to do anything. God can't use me in ministry. But friends, the paralysis that happens when we do respond to the evil desires, to those things in our lives, that's the sin. The, perhaps the, the service or ministry that God would call us to otherwise, but we don't feel like we're qualified to do it because we've got, we're, we're dragging around this baggage. I would argue that that's, the, that's just compounding the sin that leads to apathy and indifference. The simple encouragement is to stop sinning and stop being paralyzed and pursue passion. Because, friends, the antidote to apathy and indifference is passion. So when Paul is saying, hey, stay loyal, what he's really doing is invest in what you're passionate about. Now, if you find yourself sitting here kind of panicked going, Ryan, I don't know what I'm passionate about. Or I want to be passionate about something. I want to be passionate about the Lord. But I'm not. And I don't know how to do it. Notice that in all those images, there's a tremendous amount of practice and patience and discipline that's required. And so the hope is you can. If you don't have a passion for the poor and marginalized, but you want to, don't wait for that passion to come. Go and invest in it because then maybe you will start developing that passion. Invest in that passion. Maybe you want to be passionate about sharing your faith with your friends, but it scares the crap out of you. Go and try it. Invest in it. See what happens. Invest in being passionate and see if that begins to crush the apathy and indifference that can keep us paralyzed, especially when we get consumed with sin. So Paul is just saying, stop sinning and trade the sin for passion. And yes, that passion might lead to, to a degree of suffering. And in fact, I hate to tell you this, it's promised. But that's, that's what leads to loyalty. But as for you, Timothy, be strong in the grace that is Jesus Christ. But as for you, be different. So what's the difference? What's the difference? The difference is a passionate and faithful God. That's where it starts. The difference is not in our ability to do it. The difference is in the God that we worship. That we are not slaves to having to do the right religious song and dance. But rather we worship our God we worship a God that we are told remains faithful even when we are not faithful. Remember the end of the, the song, the Jesus Loves You song, at the end of that, that passage that I read? 
when we consider the heart of the events of the Christian faith and those things leading up to the cross, what do we call that? The passion of the Christ. It's pretty predictable that what is that? It's suffering. But he does so out of a loyalty to his children. Passion and suffering equal to loyal, equal loyalty. And the loyalty is founded on the foundation that is Jesus Christ in his life, death, and resurrect, resurrection. Friends, the first difference is a faithful God. And then our response to that is to live differently. To stop sinning. And in order that we might deepen what we're passionate about. We might have a passion for what is true and right in order that we might bless, bless others and maybe, like the hardworking farmer, even get to taste that, that harvest ourselves. That what we are laying down in agreeing to be passionate sufferers that are loyal is the opportunity to live a life of purpose and meaning in a relationship to God that is even more passionate about your life than you are. God's passion is you. His suffering is for you. His loyalty is for you. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.